Well, it's about goddamn time, Thomas Magnum. I'm still confused. <laughs> Michael Keaton is very good as Bruce Wayne in conveying this guy who knows how to be Batman better than he knows how to be Bruce Wayne. I kind of like the Penguin's attempt to frame Batman. No, I think I think we pretty much covered it. You know, they're your friends on social media who uh, will only pop up and say mean things about something that everybody likes. He is not proud of Batman. All right, today on our first episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie, we will be tackling 1989's Batman, starring Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, and Jack Nicholson. It was directed by Tim Burton. At the height of his powers, maybe. Here we go. Uh, Jason's going to set the stage. Go ahead. Well, actually, I uh, I did some, some research in preparation for this. There's actually some things about the production that I didn't know. Um, one of the things that will probably come up, Max, this won't, this won't surprise you, because I often uh, uh, make references to the uh, 1978 Superman film, Richard Donner's film, because I, I have this belief, this theory, that that film is, is the singularity out of which the Big Bang of the comic book universe came from. Okay. Um, however, however, I... I I discovered in my research that we have to kind of, that, that, that there is a caveat there, that actually Michael Uslan, who is the executive producer of not only this Batman film, but all the ones since, you've probably seen the name in the credits. Michael Uslan, a uh, very important figure in, in comic book history because he was the first figure, and I confirmed this in two places. Okay. And it's on the internet, so it's gotta be true, right? That's so, right. but, but, um, Michael Uslan was the first person to teach a college-level class on comic books. Really? And this, and this was in 1970. And he came up with the idea at that time to make a Batman movie that would be more serious. In 79. Uh, uh, in 70. In 70. He had that idea. Okay. And, he, and he just kind of threw it around. And um, then... In, uh, 1979 was when he and his partner bought the rights to make the film, which okay. would have been right on the heels of, uh, the Super yeah, uh, yeah. of Superman the movie. Now, I tried to find in an interview some place where he praised that film, and I could not find it. Um, he, he, was, uh, he was kind of single-minded in this idea, uh, and I didn't know this about, about him. So, so they purchased this. And then he basically spent the 80s trying to sell the idea. No one thought it would work at all. Okay. Um, and then um, things kind of came around by, by the mid-80s. I think that, that, that uh, the comic book world had changed a bit and become mm -hmm. a little bit more favorable to him. And I think you're going to talk a little bit about that. So what changed in the, in the comic book world that maybe made uh, Batman the film possible? And I think I have some ideas, but a little history on Batman really quickly. Uh, Batman, of course, is a comic book character created by Bob Kane um, way back in 1939. Also by a guy named Bill Finger. Nobody talks about Bill Finger. Did you know about Bill Finger? No, I've never heard um, of him. He gets no credit for, he's only recently started getting credit for being one of Batman's creators. He gave uh, Kane some ideas about, so Kane whipped up the sketch of this Batman character. He was inspired by the success of uh, Schuster and uh, who, I'm sorry, who's the who are the creators of Superman? I, you know, oh my god, it escapes me right now. Yeah, well, we'll cut it in later, maybe. Um, <laughs> right, or maybe not. Uh, but he was inspired by the success of Superman, which was a big comic book success, so he came up with his own character. But he had the diamond mask, like the one Robin wears and the one that right. several, several villains wear, and he had like bat wings instead of a cape. And Bill Finger says, "Hey, why don't you turn? Why don't you give him a cowl and give him a cape instead of wings and and the diamond mask? Like the Lone for viewers who don't know what a diamond mask is, uh, this might not help. But it's the kind of mask that like Lone Ranger wears or Zara wears. Anyway, that maybe that didn't help anybody, but uh, Google that shit. Um, <laughs> these guys, Bill Finger was the writer for the Bob Kane Batman's. So they wrote both wrote a lot of stuff." But Finger right. creates Riddler, and they're both inspired a lot by the pulps of the day. So they are reading Doc Savage, they're reading Zorro, they're even reading Sherlock Holmes, and uh, they're even inspired by the Scarlet Pimpernel, which I had to look up. I didn't know what that is. Oh. Are you familiar with the Scarlet Pimpernel? Yeah, um, 
uh, you might know a little bit more about it than I do. Do you want to take what is the Scarlet no, Pimpernel? No, I actually I don't. Okay. I, I know that it existed. <laughs> okay. Well, the Scarlet Pimpernel is uh, is kind of like Zorro, but for the French. Right. Uh, it's a French novel about a hero that leaves this scarlet flower, the Pimpernel, around at the sites where he's uh, helped the proletariat fight the you know, uh, the bad guys of the French Revolution. So. So that's, right. that, that's, that's where he's, that's where he's set. But Batman enjoys that pulp noir tradition. Um, he's a detective. Um, in the, in the late fifties and in the early sixties, there was a book called the seduction of the innocent, which cast comic books in a terrible light. And it's, they said the, the author makes, makes the case that, that, uh, comic books are corrupting people they're seeing the crimes that take place in the comic books and they're going out and doing them in, in the real world that any immoral thing that's going on in the comic book world that's that's bleeding into the real world this so kind of like the, the video game exactly yeah, like today, the video yeah. game uh yeah video games are evil right so so that noir tradition, that pulp tradition softens throughout the 50s and 60s. And I think that's what gave rise to the Adam West Batman, which is probably the second most easily thought of Batman image is that that can't be Adam West. Yeah. Um, now, in the 70s, things change a bit. But really, the big change comes in the 80s, uh, where all of the, the new darker stories of the 70s kind of reach their... Uh, apotheosis in Frank Miller's Batman, the dark Knight returns in which he Batman, uh, Batman in Frank Miller's hands is an old man. He's retired, but still obsessed. It's a very dark story. We don't need to get too deep into the weeds really about that, but um, it was a totally new Batman, totally dark, totally new to us, but it was very much in that, that Bob Kane tradition um, and Bill Finger tradition. And so, so this was, a new direction and it might not have done anything, but it, uh, if it had just stayed in the comic book world, but this was a critical success as well as a financial success. Um, it makes it into the time magazine, 100 science fiction stories you need to read from the 20th century. And then, uh, this was so successful that DC changed all of their Batman direction to this darker image. And, uh, new editor comes in, Dennis O'Neill, very famous comic book writer, very famous DC editor. And he just changes everything to fit with this, this kind of alternative Batman story. And he has Frank Miller come back to that Batman uh, well and say, give me year one. Give me the origin story of Batman. And so 88, 85, Dark Knight Returns, 87, Batman year one. And for better or for worse, we all live in the shadow of Frank Miller and the Batman stories. So I think that's one of the things that made in my reading, it's one of the things that made DC think, well, maybe this can happen. Um, so I think that's what gave the push to, to do this. Yeah. I, and I know that uh, Uslan actually, when that came out, the Dark Knight um, Returns? You know, yeah. It was like, well, this is the moment because now there's an appetite for that. Mm -hmm. And this is what he had wanted to do all along because actually there was no appetite for Batman in the seventies at all, either a campy version or just nothing. Yep. Warner Brothers, I believe, had the releasing rights mm -hmm. for a Batman movie. They were not interested. They were only interested in Superman. Okay. And so it was at this time that that began to change. But it was, but it, but it was Uslan that was um, uh, a very important figure in that. I mean, he had bought, he had bought the rights, mm -hmm. and it's what he wanted to do. And so he was, you know, ended up being credited as an executive producer. Okay, on, on uh, this, on the 89 film. On the 89 film, and, and on all the ones since. Okay. But, um, um, but then John Peters and Peter Goober were mm -hmm. brought in to be the, the producers of record. Okay. And, and, and they were on board with this approach as well. Um, um, interestingly, production side note, and this is going to come up later in our discussions uh, of the analysis of the, the films, Burton was developing a Batman script and treatment while he was working on Beetlejuice. Okay. Um, uh, Warner Brothers wasn't sure they wanted him. They were, they were, oh, you can do a treatment. It's fine. Um, but but uh, Burton had just done Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was a big success. And he was doing Beetlejuice. 
And, uh, but at the same time, he was working on this, this treatment for Batman. Um, I don't know if he was working with Uslan, uh, but he was, he was trying to develop a Batman story. Um, and I think the success of Beetlejuice, I mean, he has Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He has the success of Beetlejuice. And then Warner Brothers said, well, okay, why don't you take a shot with Batman? You know, I think that's what happened. I couldn't find anything that said that specifically, but I think that that's what happened. Uh, it, it was the production team that picked him. Yeah. He, they, wa they wanted him. They wanted that visual style. Okay, okay. So I'm not sure if he had been moving that direction. You know, what you're implying is that he mm. might have been moving in that direction anyway, or if they just picked him early on and he began working on that. Okay. I mean, it's definitely his film. There's no yeah. doubt about that. But, um, you know, but I guess that's something that I learned. I had always assumed that Tim Burton, it, that it was his idea to go mm. in this direction, to do this darker yeah. Batman. But it wasn't. It, um, it starts I, earlier. I, it starts a lot earlier than that. And if you, um, um, there's a lot of interviews with Mike Luzlan, and, and okay. he, he's he's kind of called the man that saved Batman. And well, you know, I've, well, I've seen his name in these credits mm -hmm. for for 30 years, and I'm like, well, Mike Luzlan. But I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about this story. That's but actually, he, he was a very, very important, a very pivotal figure. Um, well, you know. In the 70s, there was also this, uh, in comic books, I don't know if you're familiar with this, you, you and I didn't collect DC when we were younger, no. younger, younger fellas. But in the 70s and early 80s, there were some really dark stories. There's a scene, there's a, there's a very famous issue of uh, the comic book duo Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Um, uh, for listeners who don't know who they are, it doesn't really matter uh, for the purposes of this story. But Green Arrow's sidekick, uh, oh, I can't think of the guy's name, is caught by Green Arrow shooting heroin. On the cover, uh, Green Lantern is holding Green Arrow back. I don't know what he's going to do to to his buddy. Uh, Speedy, I think, was the kid's name, but he was the Red Arrow. Um, okay. And uh, But he got hooked on heroin, and uh, it happened when Green Arrow wasn't paying attention. So there's this kind of dark story of them trying to get Speedy, a.k.a red arrow off of heroin but uh but yeah so uh so there's there's there were these little currents daredevil was dealing with drugs in the early 80s yeah you yeah. know uh, under frank under frank miller again um and uh frank miller was the guy who took the punisher in his darkest turn you know right. he went from being a kind of a villain that gave spider-man some trouble uh but never really tried to kill Spider-Man to a guy who was really at war with crime. Uh, so there were, there were these hints that comic books could be a serious medium, but it wasn't until Dark Knight Returns, and uh, I'm gonna throw this in here too, and Watchmen that people were like, whoa, uh, you can really tell serious stories with comic books. So we live in the shadow of Frank Miller and, and Us, Us, Usman? Uslan, Uslan. U-S-L-A-N. And that leads us to 1989. You and I are 15, and we go in and see Batman. Wasn't it called Batman the movie? Or was it just um, called Batman? I think it was just called Batman. That's what the credits, what it says in the credits. Okay. If you remember, the poster just has just has the, the Batman symbol, and it has Nicholson Keaton at the top. Yes, yes. Nicholson top billing. But top billing. Yeah. Um, I, everybody must have been fine with that. Uh, but uh, Keaton gets top billing in Batman Returns. Michael, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton in Batman. Yeah. In the next film, he gets top billing. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit. Let's synopsis uh, Batman a little bit. Uh, I didn't realize this until really, I guess, recently. But it's basically an origin story. It's a, like right on the cusp of his first appearance because uh, Batman is still a mystery. We meet him in his first scene. He's confronting these muggers. They don't really know a lot about him. Um, right. uh, he confronts these muggers on a rooftop, and they're arguing before they meet him about there is no bat. You remember, there's the famous line: uh, <laughs> yeah. "Shut up! You want this money or not?" It's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually from one side of the scene. It's really well acted, but the the guy who is really scared of the bat is not the greatest actor. I don't. Anyway, that's an aside. Yeah. But, but the guy who ends up having all the lines in that scene does a great job in expressing how the underworld doesn't really know much about Batman. Um, and we see later on that 
the cops don't know much about Batman. He's a mystery. He's new. It sounds like it's implied that he's new to the scene, right? To the to the to the world of Gotham. Um, and like I said, I only recently noticed that. Did you notice that when you first saw it? Um. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I mean, one of the things we might get into later is actually, you know, the scene that you're describing, you know, there's a bit of a kind of a bait and switch there because we start off with two people, with two parents, with their kid, Mm -hmm. you know, going out and it looks like that they've just left a show or something and they're looking for a taxi and, you know, oh, it's it's the Waynes. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out that it's not. So, I mean, I think that that's probably... I mean, that was my reaction at the time. Yeah. Was, oh, okay, this is the Waynes. We're gonna get, we're gonna right to it, and then suddenly it's, oh no, Batman's already, yeah. you know, he's already doing his thing. No, yeah. um, but we get from that that mugger. He's like, "What are you?" And I'm Batman. Uh, as he dangles him over the edge. The iconic and, uh, line. Yeah, it's a it's a great line, uh, and it's a great scene. It's it's kind of a origin story for both Batman and uh, other characters in the film. We meet him very early on in the film. Vicky Vale is the other reporter, and she'll be the romantic interest right? between Batman and. What do we want to say? What do you want to say about this? Uh, well, you know, um, uh, just as an aside, by the yeah. way, um, Vicky Vale was originally supposed to be played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Was she really? Yeah, she That's was crazy. the first choice. But apparently, um, Michael Keaton had dated Michelle Pfeiffer at some point. And, and, and he was just getting back together with an, uh, an ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife or something. And he didn't think it would be a good idea at that time to work together. And so he nixed it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So when we get introduced to Knox, the, the ace reporter of Gotham News or whatever the newspaper is called, um, we, get a, we get him trying to get information about the bat. He's this uh, fast-talking reporter. Um, an interesting, sort of an interesting character in his own right. We'll get into him in a little bit. Uh, uh, but also through Knox, we get to see, we get to interact with both the criminal elements of Gotham for the first time because he meets the corrupt cop, Eckhart. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Eckhart. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, and so uh, he tries to get some information out of the corrupt cop. And of course the corrupt cops aren't gonna give him any uh, information. Um, and it's through that scene right after Batman's uh, attack the muggers that we meet the reporter, but then we, re- we meet the corrupt elements. We meet Jack Napier for the first time. And uh, when he confronts Eckhart, he, when he's paying Eckhart snack. off. Yep. There's a snack, that guy. It's, that's right, that's right. And, uh, and it's the, this scene with the, so this is the first scene where we get Jack Napier played by Jack Nicholson. And he delivers some of the first, great lines of the movie. And this is gonna be a running theme for Jack Nicholson is he's gonna have great line after great line after great line. Um, but we establish the major characters really early on. Um, then we meet the other reporter who's intrigued by the whole Batman story. She is Vicki Vale, she comes in. Uh, she's a, also an ace reporter, but one of more- Photographer. Photographer, photographer yeah, photojournalist. Yeah. And uh, she is, the more res- I thought this was interesting. She is the more respected journalist of the two of them. Yeah, uh, because she's Knox. been published in Time, I think. I mean, exactly, a, exactly. Yeah. She's 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 doing serious work, and everybody thinks that Knox, the reporter who's chasing the bat, is has lost it. You know, right? But right. she's intrigued by it, and so she joins Knox up uh, in the hunt for Batman. And uh, it's good for him too, because like I said, as the, as the more respected reporter, she's already getting invites to the poshest places in Gotham, which comes up because she gets an invite to Bruce Wayne's big gala uh, charity ball. And so I, but I thought that was a neat inversion of other movies might've made it, uh, might've been, might've switched that and made Knox the respected reporter and her be the, people that nobody takes seriously, but she's actually um, the reporter that, that everybody thinks is, is, is yeah. a better reporter. Um, Knox has lost it. If he ever had it, we don't really know if he was a good journalist before he got on the Batman story, but yeah. uh, uh, it's not the same universe, but uh, I was thinking that he reminded me a lot of Jack McGee from. I was just about <laughs> to say that. Yeah. Uh, 
for viewers who uh, missed out on the Incredible Hulk show, uh, the television show, um, Jack McGee was a reporter who... A tabloid really, reporter. A tabloid he reporter. He was a tabloid yeah, he, reporter. So he was already at the bottom of the barrel. And right. uh, no, nobody took him seriously because he was chasing basically the urban version of Bigfoot. Right. Tricks Batman and Vicky Vale over the edge of the church, thinks he's going to get away, and of course ends up taking a very long plunge to his death. And yep. the at the end of the film, so that's the basic film. I mean, it's it's pretty familiar in a lot of its beats. It's a hero movie. It's a superhero movie. Good guy wins at the end. So I think we've got all that. Uh, everybody's seen that. Uh, yeah. So, what did you think of it in 1989? Well, um, I have to. I've had a uh, conflicted relationship with this film. Um, I have to kind of now, hold, start. Hold on, hold on, hold on here. Now, I want to say in 89, uh, we talked about this a little later on in the mid-90s. You, uh, even back then, claimed that you didn't think it was a great Batman film. That right? I didn't think it I, That is correct. Um, now, I will say that at the time, uh, I, I tend to be someone that's very irritated by hype. Mm-hmm. And it was it was especially Jack Nicholson as the Joker yeah. was very hyped, it, mm-hmm. almost exactly the way Heath Ledger was hyped yeah. many years later. So um, I was a little skeptical that everybody loved it before they even went to see it. Yeah. And so uh, when I went into the theater, uh, I tried to be very fair with it mm-hmm. uh, or about it, and um, I I was pretty lukewarm to it. I didn't hate it. Yeah, but I definitely thought that it was overrated. Okay. Um, I uh, and and now I've seen it a lot because yeah. actually we you know we did end up owning it. We did end up watching it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was kind of a um, one of the first movies that I claimed not to like that I actually watched a lot. Yeah. So which is an odd thing, but um, so I and then I know that you and I would have discussions about it you know, on into the nineties, uh, sometimes even I think debating it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did not like it. Everyone else seemed to like, you know, that was a big summer. There were a lot of, there were a lot of blockbusters out that year yep. and a, a lot of them were very disappointing. Um, Ghostbusters two comes to mind. Yep, yep. And, um, um, but Batman, you know, kind of was the film that everyone wanted to love mm-hmm. and, and, and everyone knew going into it, why they were going to love it. It was, this dark Batman. It was mm-hmm. going to, you know, it just seemed to be kind of in the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah. And indeed, I, I believe it was the number one movie of the year. Was it? Yeah, uh, no. I, I remember I it was it quite was. successful. Yeah. 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 Well, I was collecting uh, Batman a little bit at the time. Um, I had discovered a couple of issues of Dark Knight Returns at, at a mutual friend of ours house, uh, another Jason's. Yeah, well, this is kind of amazing. And, uh, and so I was somebody who really wanted to like the film. And uh, I mean, I must have seen it like three or four times in 89 at the theater. Yeah. Um, and I still remember uh, being really just excited when we see that first scene in the film of the Gotham City skyline. You know, it's this misty place. There's, it's night. It's uh you know it's a, it's it's like new york if the social contract just totally failed <laughs> in, yeah. in you know uh and uh the style of it caught me off guard i really liked um the uh i didn't know what it was called at the time but i, I really liked the the the, the art deco direction that that uh Burton took it in. Uh, he created this really, to me, it felt kind of grounded because it took Batman, which is kind of a silly concept when you just think about it out loud yeah. and put it in a time where it might not have been, you know, right. we don't ever get a year for when the movie takes place. It could be 1920, 1930, 19, you know, the, the cars are all kind of old. Uh, the most modern looking car in the film, I think is maybe a 78, the police cars, I think, are fairly modern. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but that's 
that's about as close to a, but there's nothing, there's no date. There's nothing that you can say, well, that's obviously 90s. That's obviously 1980s. You know what I mean? Well, there was actually an interview just to, to interrupt you real quick. Oh, no, because, no, no. Because Michael Uslan, in an interview that I found, one of the things that he's kind of proud of, mm -hmm. uh, or actually Tim Burton might have said this. I actually cannot remember which of them it was. But that uh, when you ask people, does it take place in the past, mm -hmm. in the present, or the future? A third of the people think it's in the past, a third of the people in the present, and a third of the people in the future, which is exactly what they were shooting for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a brilliant idea um, because it can function in a lot of ways like Star Wars, which is this kind of timeless piece that anybody can jump in. I'm talking the original movies now, people, so don't, don't send me hate mail. Um, uh, but it's, it's this place that doesn't have a, a time stamp on it, which can be the kind of a, it can make, if you know you're seeing a movie from the seventies, that can turn a lot of people off. Like a lot of people won't watch, uh, a great film like uh, was it Three Days of the Condor? Is that am I thinking that right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because it just looks so different, you know, right. to, to modernize. But uh, Batman doesn't fall into that trap because it it's this weird mix of times, defined by this Art Deco uh, architecture art. Uh, so I, I mean, I remember thinking, seeing that when I was a kid, and just saying, oh, "This is amazing! This is this is the Batman." Um, so I liked it quite a lot. Uh, I was, at the time, because I had read a lot of Batman, um, I was a little disappointed with the way Michael Keaton moved. Um, yeah. Like, he's an athletic guy, but he's not, uh, he's not uh, like a world-class athlete, right? Yeah, um, and we'll be getting into that, I promise yeah, you. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the costume, I, even, even, even though I loved it, even though I loved the film, I thought uh, it would be nice if he could turn his neck, yeah. you know? Uh, and uh, at the time, I didn't think this, but now I do. I don't think Tim Burton knows how to direct dynamic action very well. Right. Um, uh, I mean, he's okay at it, you know, but uh, he's not a great action movie director. Uh, but all that said, the atmosphere um, really sold me. And uh, Michael Keaton's a great Bruce Wayne. He's a very good Batman. I don't have any complaints about his uh, his Batman. I know at the time there was some worry. Um, it was very controversial. Very. Uh, you, you might know more about the controversy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, I don't quite remember this. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I wasn't following the production at the time. Yeah. But um, the the original intention was to get an unknown, mm -hmm. just as they had done with Christopher Reeve for Superman, mm -hmm. and that worked great. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but then um, they decided to go with Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. um, certainly Tim Burton had worked with him. So, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. it was an obvious choice. And there was a lot of mail sent to Warner Brothers. Oh, people, wow. were, people were absolutely up in arms. I, I, it might be a distant cousin to the, uh, the um, Batfleck, you know, the Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because a lot of people were concerned about that. And, but, but then once they saw the film, and, hey, you know, he's actually, he's actually very good. Yeah. Um, so I think that it had a lot to that that, that was forgotten pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, but, Michael Keaton's such a great actor. There's a there's a great scene in the film that that always makes me think, yeah, they picked the right guy. And it's, there's this scene in Batman where uh, Batman's watching one of the crime bosses claim to be the new boss, right? Uh, and uh, these mimes start coming in. And they're doing their little dance, and one of them comes up to yeah. to Michael Keaton, and the look he gives that clown uh, is like if they could have if the look could have killed, obviously the mime would have been dead because I mean Michael Keaton looks really mean in that scene, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a great that's a great Batman look, you know. He doesn't even realize he's not wearing the mask, and that and that and that scene is kind of about him not realizing he's not. Uh, because he's about to try and fight all these guys in his in his uh, you know his navy peacoat, uh, right, right, without without any of his bat gear on, um, and so yeah, I mean Keaton's great in the role, um, so I, I loved it when I was a kid. I I was one of the unapologetic people. Uh, I mean I I had no reservations about it in '89. Those all came later. 
No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of those, you know, we had lots of discussions in the yeah. years since. Um, well, I, well, to, to recap my relationship with the movie, uh, we, uh, went to see, uh, Batman begins at the theater. And then we came back to my house and drank a lot of gin, I think. Yeah. And I, I very famously for our circle of friends, uh, uh, picked up all of my old Batman movies and threw them away. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, because I didn't realize how much was wrong with the Burton verse um, at the time and, until I saw Batman begin. So, so for a while, I, I was totally against the Batman movie. So that's the first phase of, of uh, my relationship. So it went from, well, the first phase was love, you know, unadulterated, unapologetic love for the films. Then in what, 2007 is it that Batman Begins comes out? Oh no, that was 2003. 2003. So in 2003, yeah. Batman Begins comes out. And I'm like, oh my God, this was the, the show. This was the Batman movie I've been, I've been really wanting. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, then I famously throw out all of my Tim Burton Batman movies. Yeah. And... <laughs> And uh, and then lately, though, I'm like, I, I need to I need to revisit this film because maybe I was wrong, maybe maybe there's something I missed. So, where are you at now? Now that well, we've see, done this rewatch, I mean, I've watched the film many times. Yeah. I've not watched it in a long time. Yeah. Um, and watching it this time, I, I do realize that um, I per, I did underrate it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was, I think I was wrong about some things mm -hmm. and I, I was right about some things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I guess, I guess to start off with one of the things I didn't appreciate at the time that really kind of hits you right between the eyes when you, when you just start watching the movie mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, the whole t uh, title sequence mm -hmm. where the, where the camera's going through the Batman oh, logo I, and, and the yeah. yellow titles and everything mm -hmm. and the, 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 and this um, that Danny Elfman's score. Yep, yep. I I did not really appreciate at the time. Yep. At the time, I thought, you know, um, well, it's okay, you know, but it's not it's not iconic like John Williams Superman score. Yep. I was I was very wrong because I tell you, just watching it the other day, yep. it it really grabs you and 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 brings you into the film with a lot of excitement and a lot of anticipation. Well, well, I'm actually glad you brought that that opening title sequence up because as was a person watching it, I remember being amazed by that. And like you said, being drawn right into the film. And even to this day, when I see that scene, I think, well, this is amazing filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The camera moving around through this like bat signal that's in some kind of relief. It, it's like this three dimensional signal that is big enough for the camera to navigate. And it yeah. slowly reveals the Batman to us, which is what's going to happen in the film we're going to get this slow reveal of who the Batman is, you know, through the I, eyes of the, of the, of the, of the characters I, in the film. And, uh, and I remember thinking the Danny Elfman score was really good. I, I've yeah. never really wavered in that. Uh, the, I've always thought that the film benefited a lot from Tim Burton's imaginative art direction. And that, and, and then that, and that Danny Elfman score. Um, I'll come back to some more of the legacy of the film later on, but, uh, Go on. Let's hear more of what you. Uh... My whole intention was to was to was to again to look at it with, with fresh eyes mm -hmm. and and to see how it's aged and to really kind of try to look at it objectively. And um, so you know there was that part, and then the first scene that you were talking about with the um, the criminals on the on the roof, mm -hmm. and there's a great moment, and you'll know what I'm talking what, what I'm talking about when they're kind of seated. And there's like a long shot and you see mm -hmm. Batman kind of descend from the, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, yeah, from the roof. And I'm just like, wow, that's really a great effect. I don't, yeah. I don't think I appreciated that at the time. Yeah. And um, everything was absolutely astounding yeah. until the fight scene began. And that is a theme throughout the movie. It is. Actually, there is so much that this film does very, very well mm -hmm. visually um, in terms of setting things up, I mean that scene was set up beautifully. Mm -hmm. And then Batman comes in and he just he just brings his arms down, kind of lumbers in, and just does a quick kick, and yep. well, 
down for the count. And yeah. it's a it's a very dull action scene. And even, you know, I, I think I would have thought this then as well. But even now, I, I, it just took, it really took me out of that scene. I yeah. was really, really enjoying that scene. And then suddenly the fight scene began. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, and that is a, that's a review that I, that will come up again. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it yeah. comes up a lot in the films. They could have picked a different thing for Batman to do. They could have, you know what I mean? In that, yeah. nobody really understood this at the time, but in the, to reference another series of films, the Jason Bourne movies, Right. The fight choreographers got together with Matt Damon and they tried to figure out what he could, what they could show him doing that would look really good for him. Right. Instead of trying to have him do, to be Jet Li or Jackie Chan yeah. or somebody like that, they said, well, let's, how can we make you look good in these scenes? And it doesn't seem like they did that for, for uh, Michael Keaton. No, um, they and they might not have known to do that for Michael Keaton. You know, they might, I mean, it's kind of a new idea in cinema, really. Looking at it now, also with fresh eyes, um, I kind of appreciate a lot more of what was hap what must have been happening behind the scenes. Because I think this is the only movie with Tim Burton and Batman that this is going to be true of, where Tim Burton is bringing his own vision to the film, but he's also trying to honor what's going on in the comic book world of 80, of the 80s, but yeah. also with the Art Deco direction, he's also bringing in what would have been the, the original sense of Batman, the Bob Kane yeah. and Bill Finger Batman. And so he's, he's bringing in his own creative vision, but he's also kind of like incorporating a lot of these great ideas from the source material. Um, and in a way that he was always able to do less and less as his film career progressed, Burton kind of makes himself take a little bit of a backseat in this film. Uh, I mean, he lets himself shine a little bit in like the uh, blimp design, you know, uh, yeah. which is very Tim Burton art design, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it's almost like they, they, these balloons flew in from the, the weird dimension of Beetlejuice, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're very strange and very unnerving balloons i think they're very effective at being oh that's kind of making me uneasy to look at yes uh, and uh and so i like that i like also too that in some ways he even pulls in the visual ideas of the campy 60s show i mean in some ways you could say that jack nicholson is doing a homicidal uh caesar romero yeah you could um, because jack nicholson's joker is big and bold um, totally insane, but he's also having a lot of fun. And he, yeah. se he's, he seems like he's having fun. Uh, the other thing I notice, and I, I didn't notice this until I was doing some research and reading about Beetlejuice and how Burton was, was, uh, was at the time he was developing Batman, he was also doing Beetlejuice. And there's a lot of similarities between the two films. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like Jack Nicholson and Beetlejuice are very similar in the way they carry themselves to the film. They have these wonderful one-liners. They hog all of the screen time. They, 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 they become the, the center of the film when maybe that's not what was intended. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah um, I would agree with that. And I mean, I, I was kind of, I was rewatching bits and pieces of, of, Batman and Batman Returns today. And I was just noticing like this, this Jack Nicholson has a, just a wealth of great lines in the film. Um, we're taking him out a whole new door, uh, you know. Uh, well, <laughs> I know Picasso, right. you know. Um, and, and, and just line after line or, or um, what kind of a world do we live in where a man dressed as a bat steals all of my press yeah, I just yeah. <clears throat> but it's big and brash like Beetlejuice and uh, uh, I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just a just a, a byproduct of Jack Nicholson being a fun the ca a guy the camera just finds a lot um, right uh, but it reminded me a little bit of that same kind of agent of chaos that Beetlejuice was 
and we hit we have him in in we have a, a version of him in Batman, and that's the Joker. Well, well you know, uh, um, actually, one of the really fun scenes for me that Jack mm. Nicholson is in, uh, because I mean he he's never not that character. You know. In that moment when he breaks uh, when he breaks into Vicky Vale's apartment, yeah, and Bruce and Bruce Wayne is there, and and then Bruce decides this on this bizarre strategy to come out and tell a bizarre story. Yeah. And what I love about that scene is the story makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And, and, and Nicholson, the way he plays it, he's like, like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. like he's, he, he's really working very hard to follow him, you know? And it's like, you know what happened to this guy, Jack? No, I, please tell me, you know, yeah. like, it, like he's, he's always in character and his reaction to everybody yeah. is always just priceless. And oh. yeah. So, he steals every scene. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Which and he steals the movie. I remember that was something that was said at the time. No, oh, yeah, yeah, no. The movie should be called The Joker, and not <laughs> Batman. With cameos by. But, right, yeah, by, yeah. By Batman. Um, I, I mean, he certainly is the guy that people walk away thinking about a lot. Uh, I, I mean, I, but I, I, I think Batman's understated Bruce Wayne is also quite worthy. But there's no doubt about it that Jack Nicholson is deserved the top billing of that movie um yeah now of course at the time people complained a lot about vicky vale screaming a lot i did, it didn't bother me this much this time around I, I know when when i first heard that criticism it kind of made it hard for me to not notice every scream but being about 10 years away from that criticism or the even 20 years i guess uh, away from that criticism i didn't think it was actually that bad or that pronounced um I thought, well, I would probably scream a lot like that as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I didn't notice that as being anything out of place. So. No. Um, but you're right about you get these great dramatic moments. I, and then in the bell tower where, well, even, let me back up a little bit further. Even the scene where the jet comes flying in, the bat jet comes and steals the, the gas bomb, uh, balloons away um even that scene is kind of flat uh yeah. when he when he uh so batman is dive bombing the uh parade and the joker's man and he's shooting up the place which is a problem i have with the film uh he's shooting and, and killing joker's henchmen and he tries to shoot and kill joker but he misses and the joker pulls out a giant pistol and shoots down the plane and shoots down the plane and, and that's, I mean, it's all a bit rescued by the score and uh, yeah. the decent acting of everybody. But, but, uh, but when I watched it, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's all a little clunky. Um, These are problems that the film has. And, yeah. and just exactly what you just mentioned. I mean, one of the things that's just absolutely ridiculous about that is that we see the targeting, you know, the targeting computer absolutely zeroed in on the joker yep. and he fires machine guns and two missiles yep yep and misses completely yep yep yet, yet the joker just you know is the crack shot well it's a That's, long barrel it is it is but it's clunky is a good word for that um i mean there, there, there had to be a better way to to tell that story that that you know, maybe something was wrong with, maybe there was something wrong with the, the ship after it had to take away all these like uh, Macy's day style balloons, you know? Um, right. There were other ways they could have done that other than just like Batman, best technology in the world, zeroing in on Joker and missing. So, so that all falls flat. Uh, uh, then Batman is injured after his plane crashes and he has to chase the Joker and Vicky Vale the old abandoned church. And that's a great scene until he has to fight the henchman. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember, I remember, I do remember at the time thinking, ah, oh, these, these are not the kind of henchmen Batman has trouble with. You know, I mean, right. and, and even way back in 1989, um, like Batman, oh, Batman just kicked that guy. And I mean, Batman in the comic book is a guy who if he kicks a normal person who's not, there's nobody who's as well trained as Batman, right? Batman, uh, when he kicks a normal person, he breaks them. I mean, they're just done for the. They're done. They're done in the fight, and uh, and he's and Batman's having trouble with these these really low level guys. And I thought, oh, 
well, I mean, maybe it's an origin story. Maybe he hasn't mastered all this stuff yet, but, but like he's in the suit. So I can't, that that's not an explanation that, that works well for me, but that action scene just, it's like you said, it takes you out of the film for a second. Um, but then it comes right back when, uh, when Batman and Vicki Vale and Joker have that, that little conflict at the end. And that's yeah. great. That's great. That scene is all great from after the henchmen are dealt with, the film kind of resumes its excellence and moves on forward. Um, and uh, Joker almost gets away. As he's leaving, Batman hooks him to a gargoyle and he can't hold on to the rope and he falls to his death. Uh, and so that brings me to the other thing that I, that even in 89, I, for some reason, Jason, I neglected to notice the other people that Batman kills in the movie which are the yeah. henchmen that he shoots down. Joker, I thought, was, you know, not an outright murder. You know, he's just trying to catch him and what happened after that happened, right? That's, that's not right. Batman knew what was going to happen when he, when he did that, right? Right. And uh, because he knew what was going to happen when he shot the 50, 50 caliber machine guns at everybody, you know what I mean? And, right, right. And so for a long time, I've looked, I looked past that, and it wasn't until Batman Begins that I thought, well, that's something you can't look past in a, in a Batman movie. And so for people who don't know this, uh, Batman's one rule is that he doesn't kill people. He delivers them to the justice system for them to be dealt with there, right? Right. And uh, Burton never grasped that part of Batman. And so right. his Batman kills pretty regularly. Um, I mean, he's not the Punisher, but... but uh, you know, uh, he doesn't deliver anybody to Arkham at the end of this movie. No. Oh, it, it gets worse in the next film, I think. Yeah, it, oh, it does. Absolutely. And, uh, um, and so, so that always bothered me. So as I come to the movie now, I, I can look past some of that and see the great stuff, the art direction, the Elfman score. Um, and I can watch the film as a uh, Burton's interpretation of Batman. You know, it's not a, it's not a great adaptation of the comic book, character but it's it's an okay alternative batman i think i don't know where, where do you where do you come out in the, in the final analysis of batman well really i i agree with what you just said and in fact i i've never been um a big tim burton fan yeah you know for, for all the for all the viewers out there yeah um i actually think this film's not really that burtony Yes. You know, okay, yeah, you know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I really appreciated that um, his style is more of a virtue here mm -hmm. than it is in other places, and I never gave him credit for that no. um, at the time or since. But I, but I really noticed it this time. Um, it's what I said earlier. He, he is, he's really either he's done it or Warner Brothers toned him down. But he's really let himself have just enough things to do uh, without really pushing his tastes deep into the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with that. In fact, I mean, maybe, maybe the Joker could be seen as kind of a Tim Burton type character. Cause he seems to have the same kinds of characters in his film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, but not really. I mean, I mean, actually I, I think that it's, um, um, I think that he did a great job. I think the production design, as you said, is is awesome. And again, not too Burton-y. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned the Art Deco. Like, you know, I mean, one of the things that I noticed throughout the film that I never had really even noticed before, like there's the scene when uh, when uh, Vale is is doing her own research on Bruce Wayne in, mm -hmm. in the newsroom. And uh, she's going through these drawers that look ancient. Like yeah. they they look like they're from the 30s. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, if it was a modern type film, it would be like a, you know, Michael steel Fisher, or something. Or yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I really, like, I really appreciated that feel, yeah. you know, whereas, but on the other hand, if it was uh, a Tim Burton film from another era, yeah. it, it might be something just bizarre, like that she's rooting through. I mean, so. Well, we're going to be getting to just bizarre here. In the I know, I know. But, but I would say though, that to this day, the main problem I have with the film has not changed. Mm -hmm. And it's related to what we were just talking about. Um, I, I, I mean, I have to add that or concur with you that, that 
Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne is, is, is he's amazing. I think he's an amazing actor. He brings a great deal of charm to the role. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that he, I think he kind of carries Kim Basinger to be quite frank. Yeah. Um, but I actually, there's two things that really bother me about the film. Hey, I actually don't like a lot of the writing. Um, okay. I mean, Jack Nicholson has the great lines. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But actually, there were moments um, that just really, and flat is a good word, mm -hmm. the night that they, uh, that they have the dinner at, at the long table. Yeah. And, then, and then suddenly they, you know, they're, they're in the kitchen and, and Alfred is telling stories about, there I was, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I don't like that scene. I think that that's very flat because, like, um, you know, there's that story, and then he leaves, and she just says, well, he reminds me of my grandfather. You know, yeah. I used to go to my grandma's, and it was on a lake, but nothing like this. And then that's it. Well, it's, and, interesting. And it's, it was, interesting. it's lazy writing to yeah. me. Well, it's interesting that you say that, because I didn't think about that scene, because for me, I actually don't pay much attention to what Vicki Vale says. I enjoy Michael Goh's Alfred telling the story, and there I was, yeah. like you said, uh, yeah. nursing a broken leg and last writing lesson I ever gave Bruce Wayne. And, uh, and then he's like, well, I've embarrassed it. I, I've embarrassed Bruce long enough. I'm going to go to bed. And he says, don't, don't bother. I'll, I'll get the dishes in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Keaton said, uh, Bruce Wayne, I should say, says good night. I thought, wow, that to me, it's interesting that you bring up the Vicky Vale stuff because Jason, I did not realize that those lines existed. The scene kind of stops for me when Alfred leaves the room, which, 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 which probably explains a lot about why I loved it so much in 89, because I just tuned out when she started telling me about her grandpa. But, and see, and, the, and that is a problem with the Vicki Vale character. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you said, other people kind of focus on the screaming. I just think she's a very, very flimsy character, yeah. right? Um, and I, I don't dislike Kim Basin. Oh, no, I've seen, no. I've seen her. She's been very good in a lot of things. I, I kind of don't like her in the movie, yeah. uh, but, but I also don't think it's her fault. No. Like, I really feel like that the whole point of that scene was to try to show that Bruce and Vicky are falling for each other. Yeah. And to me, the, 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 the kind of little exchange with them, mm -hmm. like, it's just one notch above, you know, I hate sand. It's no. coarse and it gets over everything. <laughs> I mean, um, sorry. Um, but I, I, I really thought that that was, was kind of um, was kind of weak, and then her character almost she becomes she really falls for him, and she becomes almost obsessed with him. Yeah. And you know that scene just didn't sell that for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I did not feel a, a, a big connection between them. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I I didn't really like their interaction with each other. Um, but the the real crux of my problem with the writing is that Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale are not really very like concerned people. No. They're very unengaged in like, there's never a moment in the film. It, the, the film lays it out very well that Bruce Wayne is, is tortured by what happened to his parents. Mm -hmm. He's now devoted his life to fighting crime. Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a scene where that is ever tangibly felt in his concern for just the average person of Gotham. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the scene that really lays that out for me is how going back to the balloons, mm -hmm. my balloons, you know, with, and they're full of all the, the poisonous gas and so Smilex gas. Well, he shows up late. We see people dying horribly. And da -da 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 -da, he's just kind of, you know, I mean, I know that he's got to fly there. Yeah. But the film does not provide us with any sense of urgency that, yeah. oh, my God, people are dying. Yeah. The only person who shows that urgency is Knox. Yeah. He gets out of the car, which, I mean, there's not much he can do, but he actually puts on a, a makeshift, uh, almost like a COVID-19 mask. Yeah. And, 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 he, and he gets a bat and he starts yeah. scaring people away. He's not going to be able to save these people. Nope. Then Vicky runs him over with the car. <laughs> and then, which is in itself is dumb. Yeah. But then, we, and this is bad editing, she just, we just see her get out 
and kind of kneel down in front of him like, oh, my God, I just did that. Yeah. She's not like, oh, my God, Allie, are you all right? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like there's no concern. It's almost like, well, I guess he's dead. Yeah. Like, like, like the two of them. And I felt this back then. Yeah. I, I don't I don't blame them. I really feel like that. And maybe it was Burton. Maybe it was the script. They were so concerned about writing the Joker well, mm -hmm. his motivations and all of that, that even though we see a lot of the motivations of Bruce and Vicky, mm -hmm. it never translates into anything. Like, I never feel like that they're as worried about the people of Gotham as I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think later Batman movies do that better. I actually think that that is, you know... Um, if there's a real, if there's one sin of the movie that I would zero in on, mm -hmm. it is that. And it's not, I, 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 I don't put that on Michael Keaton's shoulders because actually there's things that I noticed that I had never noticed before that actually he's the guy that invented the idea of Batman kind of having a more gravelly voice yeah. so that you, you can't tell that it's Bruce Wayne. He came up with that. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit for, um, for being a foundational actor for that role. But I just think that there are individual scenes in that movie that, that are not well executed, they are not well written, and they do more damage to the movie than people noticed. Well, it's going back to the bad writing, there's a couple of I found this to be the case anyway. There's a there's a few areas of bad editing too where I actually came to hate Robert Wool because of Batman. Oh. Okay. I think he's, I think he's kind of terrible in the movie. Robert Wool plays uh, Knox, the reporter, right. and uh, and maybe I'm being unfair to him. Maybe it's just the writing, but like I, I really detested all of his flirt lines with Vicky Vale, and I thought, dude, you're gonna get, you're gonna get in trouble if you keep, you keep these, <laughs> yeah. you keep these lines up, uh, if you keep hitting on her like this. I mean, you guys are work colleagues. It's just not, it's not cool, um, and uh, and I. I I, I didn't like a lot of his lines. Uh, is Batman working for uh, the Gotham PD? And if he is, what's he pulling down? Uh, after taxes. And I'm just like, ah, this is not a great line. And uh, He ad-libbed that. I, I read that today. He, he ad-libbed that. That should have been it. Uh, since he didn't, since they didn't do it, I may cut that line out of this podcast. <laughs> um, but but I, I, didn't, I didn't find him to be very good. Um, I like Vicky Vale more than you did, I think, and I don't. I don't. Maybe it was because I, I caught a late night episode, uh, a late night Cinemax showing of Nine and a Half Weeks. I don't know. Maybe that's why I gave her <laughs> cut her the slack for the movie. But, but like you said, it's not her fault. I mean, she's been in a lot of great movies. I totally uh, agree with you that none of what happens is probably any of the actors' fault. Um, but there's there was this. There is some weakness in the writing. There's some weaknesses in the editing. Um, the strength of the movie is probably its art direction more than, more than anything yeah. else. And the music, uh, the music, the music. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I give, I give Burton a lot of credit for marrying the Kane era with the modern era in a way that we just don't even, we don't even realize that's happened. Um, so what's your, so final verdict on Batman? Um, I, you know, it, it's gone up in my yeah. estimation. I mean, it, it definitely has. It did that for me too. Um, yeah, um, it, it definitely has. But but I think that the the main problem I have with it, which is is what I, is what I just said, and I just think that that's a that's a big problem. Yeah. And so if you're ranking it with other comic book films, yeah, um, I would say kind of middle of the pack. Yeah. Um, um, just because of those story problems. Yeah. Th th there are there are many wonderful wonderful things about the, about the film, mm -hmm. but. I, the, the the things that hold it back are the things that, well, I mean, the reasons that we go to the movies. When you see a great comic book film, you want to get emotionally involved. Yeah, yeah. You know, you want to kind of uh, almost cheer even for for the hero. Yep. And you know, that was hard to do because I felt like that he was less concerned than me. Um, so I think that 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 remains a problem with the film. Um, that. Um, that makes me still say that it's probably uh, on the edge. I mean, I mean, I mean, if I was going to recommend it to somebody, I would probably recommend it because it is iconic at this yeah, point. Yeah. It, like I would say that it is a classic. Yeah. But 
Um, I'm not. I don't think it's a great film. No. Um, some good moments. All right, guys. Um, it occurs to me that we didn't really give you a definitive thumbs up, thumbs down uh, verdict on this movie. So. Uh, speaking for Jason and myself, uh, I think we have to come down on the side of lukewarm thumbs up. Uh, it's an iconic movie that you should definitely see if you're a superhero fan or a fan of science fiction movies and movies in general. It's not the definitive Batman, though. That's it.